So I want to encourage you to look with me back at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. We, could, we looked at the first part of this section last week, and I wanted to spend some time uh, on it on the second half this week, specifically because he uses language, he uses words that on the face of it appear to directly contradict Paul. Now understand for a real quick that James clearly understands the gospel. James understands that we all stumble in many ways. In fact, guess who tells us we all stumble in many ways? James. And James knows that if we break the law of God at one part, we are guilty of breaking the whole thing. Guess how we know James knows this? Because it's James who tells us. James understands that there's nothing we can do to cause the new birth. He understands that God is the one who sovereignly chooses to give us life. How do we know, he knows? Because he tells us. So James understands the gospel. So what he's doing in these verses then is not giving us a treatise on how the new birth happens or how we are made right with God. He's giving us a treatise on the nature of faith. What does true faith, what does saving faith look like? And so, brothers and sisters, to these verses, we turn. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the living God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage. It is a discomforting passage. It is a frightening passage. It is a passage that causes confusion and inner turmoil as we wrestle with what he says compared to with what we know we find in other places of Scripture. Grant, O oh God, that we would, by faith, rightly receive and respond to your word. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, James has been continuing this section on being a doer of the word. Remember back from the end of chapter 1 and starting in verse 22, he commences by telling us to be doers of the word. And we talked about how that is at the heart of the Christian life, rightly receiving and responding to the word of God. How we receive and respond to God's word says a lot. You may say it says everything. So, for example, rightly hearing and responding is, is depicted for us in John 10, 27, in that great passage where Jesus tells us that he is the shepherd of the sheep. He says that my sheep hear my voice and, and, and what? And follow me. Now, th this may be hard for some of us to picture because some of us, uh, as, as parents, perhaps we've not conditioned our children to come when called. And so we speak to our children and they ignore. And they're waiting for you to get exasperated enough that that's the tone that signals that it's time to, 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 to engage. But that's not what's depicted here. The Savior does not call and we go, yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. No. The great shepherd calls his sheep and his sheep follow. I'm reminded of the scene uh, that, that I would see in Afghanistan where um, in the evening the shepherds take their flocks up into the mountains to get them away from predators. And in fact, when we first got to Afghanistan, the, the people who'd been there a while would, would try to scare us by at nighttime, you would see these little, these little dots of light at sporadically in the mountains, and those were fires, campfires. And they would tell us that those are signal lights from the Taliban. <laughs> so you think we're surrounded, right? Turns out those are shepherds staying warm. And, uh, but at dawn, they lead their flocks back down to the valley floor for food. But what was really neat was even from a distance, you could see like this, this line coming, coming down the mountainside. And through binoculars, you could see it was the shepherd leading his flock. And, and that's what's depicted here, is that Jesus speaks and his sheep 
hear his voice, and respond. That's because of the nature of faith. I like to read in one of the books I was rereading as I look at this. In fact, the ladies are fixing to have a summer study on the attributes of God, and I would commend to them as sort of a, a, a supplemental text uh, Thomas Watson's Body of Divinity, uh, because he does a great job of, of unpacking the attributes of God. Uh, and, and one of the things that Watson does is he spends meticulous time describing faith, true faith. And one of the things he points out, as we just saw from John chapter 10, is that faith is obedient. True faith, because as we said last week, it is given to us by the Holy Spirit, by a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, supplemented by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a sign and a seal of our salvation, as a comforter. Our faith is a living thing. Your faith, then, has characteristics and qualities. This new life that is created within you, it has its own attributes, if you will. It yearns, your faith yearns to be fleshed out in holiness. It is like a horse that yearns to run. It is like a lion that yearns to roar. It is like an eagle that yearns to soar. It is like a dog that yearns to bark. Your faith wants to manifest itself and express itself in acts of obedience to God. We see this. Purpose and result. And I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. Just, just bear with me. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we love, as Calvinists, as Reformed Christians, we love celebrating Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, that it is the gift, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. You have, been saved by, you have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the gift of God. But there's a verse 10. For, therefore, because. The purpose statement then is verse 10. Verse 8 and 9 they tell us what's up. Verse 10 tells us what for, why this is the case. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, the whole theme of salvation is God redeeming a people for himself to be his priests in the world, to be salt and light in the world, a holy 
people a holy possession. That is the theme and motif from the Old Testament into the New. And so the faith that we have been given is an obedient faith. It hears the voice of our Savior and hearkens to him. It's a faith that desires to please the Lord, which is why we say that one of the principal things of the new birth is that we have been given a new disposition. Instead of having an affection that is hostile to God, wanting nothing to do with him in truth, our new affection is one in which we are favorably inclined to the Lord, in which we yearn for him, and we desire to make him happy. We desire to live in right relationship with him. This new affection, this new disposition is part and parcel of what it means to be born again. This is part and parcel of having true saving faith. This, this is the thing. And so here in our James passage then, with that as background, James is expounding the nature of faith. Who can, and by, by extension, who cannot justifiably claim to have true saving faith? The justification of the claim to having saving faith is what is in question here. You see this in verse 14. If some, what, is, what good is it if someone says he has faith? And the rest of this section is expounding on this claim. This claim, he says he has faith. Is it justified or is it not? Now, I just brought up a word I've said a couple times. Justified. What does the word mean? And that is the question. Because one of the pitfalls of, of doing word studies is, is thinking that every time a word is used, it means the same thing in every place. I may say, I may get up here and give a, a lecture on reformed soteriology and refer to justification being a forensic declaration of God whereby we are declared innocent. But then I may have a discussion with someone and they're challenging me on, on something I did or didn't do and I may say, I don't need to justify myself to you. And then I may talked to one of my kids and I told them that something would happen if this, if this happened and, and sure enough it came to pass and I say, see, I've been justified. I've just used justify in three different ways. Haven't I? I have. There's a sense in which justification can be used in some cases that simply means to be proven right. There are other times when justified means to be shown to be legitimate. There are times when it means to be cleared of suspicion. And there are times when it means to be declared innocent. Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus uses the word justify very seldom. 
But Matthew eleven nineteen is one of those times. He says that wisdom is justified by her deeds. What does that mean? Wisdom is proven right. Wisdom is proven legitimate. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Sometimes something doesn't look like it's the right course of action until you see the outcome. In the same way, when we look at a passage like this and it says justified, justified, we fall into a trap if we think that automatically and of necessity, he means the same thing that Paul means in Romans 4 when he uses the same word. Context, like in all things, determines the meaning. As they say in seminary, a proof text without context is just a pretext. That's a saying from seminary, at least my seminary. A proof text without context is just a pretext. So it's not enough to do a word study. You have to, a word study will show you the range of meanings. The context tells you what is meant. And what is he doing here? He is demonstrating how the legitimacy, the claim to having faith is justified or proven legit, proven true, proven right by deeds. Because we talked about this last week. We don't have a, a window into each other's hearts. How do we know the difference between the profession of faith that's mere assent, which James derides as demonic faith, and true abiding living faith? Well, if it's a living thing, you'll see it expressed. Is that not the basic thesis of Hebrews chapter 11? By faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did that. By faith, all this great sequence of mighty exploits is depicted. By faith. Faith is the engine that drives the train of obedience. And so... What he does here, James, in these final verses, is he provides two examples to further drive home his thesis. That your claim, back at the beginning of verse uh, 14, or 19, sorry, your claim to faith is not substantiated, it's not justified, unless there are deeds of, to follow it up that are stemming from this new birth. In fact, look at verse 20. He reiterates multiple times in this passage, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is useless. Okay? Synonyms for the, for the same concept. But in verse 20, he, 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 actually, he actually turned the, turns the screws on his, on his hypothetical interlocutor. When he says, you, you foolish person... Now, that word doesn't mean silly, uneducated, naive, where you need to grow up a little bit and understand things better. No, he's saying that faith without works is so useless that to posit the notion that bare mental assent is true saving faith makes you an empty, vacuous, 
worthless person. That's what it means to be a fool. It is a morally descriptive term of someone who is in hostility with God. That is the lesson from the wisdom literature, and James is steeped in it. We are not saved by bare mental assent. And when he says faith alone, we hear the Reformation slogan. Don't hear the Reformation slogan here. Hear bare naked faith. Hear mental assent. Faith, faith as, as a synonym for mental assent. That's what he means. He didn't use 16th century language in the first century, okay? He means bare naked faith. Is, this thing you're calling faith isn't true faith. But still, it seems to conflict with Paul, doesn't it? Well, understand that, again, context is key. In Romans 4, what's happening? Go Think about Romans 4. That is where Paul brings up that Abraham was justified by faith. Well, again, James Sorry, Paul is using the word justified in a different way than James. Paul is not saying that James, that, that, sorry. Paul is not saying that Abraham's faith was proven legit by works because Paul was not arguing against those kind of people. The people that Paul is arguing with in Romans 4 are saying that no one can be saved unless they first sub sub submit to the Jewish law and get circumcised. And so Paul's concern in Romans 4 is to stress the priority of faith by pointing out that Abraham was justified by faith and that's where, Rome, that's where Genesis 15 comes into play in Paul's use he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he points out that the sign and seal of that righteousness, circumcision, because that's the issue he's having to deal with, isn't given until later. And it's given as a, as a seal of that righteousness he had beforehand by faith. So faith, it's faith that saves, not the works. That's what Paul's saying. And James here is not talking about the priority of faith. And in fact, we'll see that he understands that. He's talking about the proof of faith. That's why when James begins his study and uses Abraham, does he start with he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? No. Where does he start? He starts with Abraham about to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's a huge deal. Even in Genesis, it's a huge deal. It was a huge confirmatory deal. It's mentioned again in Hebrews. It's there that Abraham's faith is vindicated and proven to be legit. If you think about it, Abraham initially follows the Lord... There's a lot of tumbling and ups and downs along the way that, that would seem to threaten his, his fidelity to the Lord. I mean, think about multiple times he throws his wife under the bus because he's afraid. I mean, he actually says that his wife is his sister so that 
these guys won't kill him to get her. And then they basically, oh, she's your sister? Well, take her then. And it's only the Lord saving her. So, so up till then, it's questionable. And it's this event in Genesis 22 where in faithful obedience, Abraham proves his loyalty, his fidelity, his faithfulness to the Lord. And so his faith reaches full flower at that point. And that is when it is evident, not just to him, but everyone around him, that he is God's man. And that's why James writes, this event happens, and so was fulfilled, and then he reaches back and talks about the verse from seven chapters prior in Genesis. So he argues from the great demonstration back to the starting point of his faith in Genesis 15 to underscore the fact that in the moment of sacrificing Isaac, as he says right here, we, we, uh, his faith was completed and fulfilled. That's what he says in verse 22. Completed and fulfilled. Those are code words for reaching maturity. His faith is proven legit. And the same thing with Rahab. Her faith is proven legit by what she does. All right. So this passage is all about the vindication of the claim to having saving faith. What do we do about it? Well, faith without works is dead. If you give bare mental assent, you affirm the Trinity. Oh, yeah, Jesus came out of the grave on the third day. Yeah, just sola fide, sola gratia. Yeah, I, yeah, all that. I believe it. I'm here, aren't I? Look at my grand religious displays. I throw money into the offering plate, too. But that's not enough. Do you have an inward disposition that desires to please your Father that manifests itself in a life of pious obedience to the Lord's commands? He's not talking about sinless perfection. Again, James is the one who tells us we all stumble in many ways. We're talking about a basic disposition. You see, the blood of Jesus is all sufficient. There's nothing, there's no good work, there's no good deed. There's nothing we can do to add to the merit and the all-sufficient nature of Christ's sacrifice. All there is for us to do is receive this by faith. But me saying I believe doesn't prove that I believe. Me living a life of self-sacrificial loving obedience to the Lord, that proves I believe. That justifies my faith. So brothers and sisters, as we prepare to take communion, I want to, you know, I want to encourage you. We're going to sing a song, but reflect upon your own walk with Christ. You are saved by grace alone through faith alone, but 
the faith that saves is not alone. If there are areas where you've been perhaps living for yourself instead of living for him, maybe offer that up to Christ in, in repentance and ask him to forgive you. Understand that the Holy Spirit works through passages like this to convict God's people to live in a godly way. It is how the Holy Spirit pricks our consciences in this way of sanctification, which is what we're talking about. So don't lose heart, unless, of course, as you evaluate your life, you see, man, there's no signs of life. I haven't completely flatlined, and I'm just here. Really, this is what good people do. If that's you, then come talk to me or talk to one of our elders, and, and we will pray for you, and we will ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and your heart to give you new life, that you might see and savior, savor the voice and person of your Savior. Because he is all sufficient to save. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this day and for this morning and this passage which explains to us that our faith is justified. Our claim to faith is justified or unjustified by signs of life. It's not enough, O Lord, for us to merely say we believe. It must be proven. So God, examine our hearts by your spirit. Bring to our minds and comfort us where we need comforted. Convict us where we need convicted. But in all things, O oh Lord, we pray that you would work out your saving purposes for us by your spirit. For Christ's sake we ask this.